welcome to the Millennial Success Stories podcast, a space for millennial women entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, and those who dare to forge their own path. My name is Jackie Kossoff, and I'm a marketing strategist and success coach, multi-passionate entrepreneur, writer, traveler, and history lover. The mission of this podcast is to uplift, inspire, and empower young women to create a life that reflects their own version of success. I believe in sharing our experiences so we may learn from one another and grow together as a community. In season two, I invite you to dive deeper with us as we explore more about the nuances of success and our ever-evolving perspectives on what it means to be successful in business and in life. If you're ready to take the next step in your journey and grow your own marketing business, I encourage you to sign up for a success breakthrough call where we'll have the opportunity to connect personally. Now, without any further ado, for those of you ready to write your own success stories, let us begin. And always remember, success has no age requirement. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Millennial Success Stories podcast. I'm going to start with a little spoiler alert. My guest for this episode is not a millennial so while David Nielsen may not himself be a millennial, he's actually made it his mission to help millennials on their own paths to success. And he's done that by researching and writing a book called The Nine Dimensions to Conscious Success. And I, you know, that'll be in the show notes. So you can totally check out the book, um, you know, after our, after the episode. But, you know, we really talked about you know, a lot of what went into his research and a lot of what he discovered about success from this book, because, you know, he has experienced success himself over, um, over his career and his own entrepreneurship journey. He's actually experienced success in, um, the corporate world. And then also he went out and started his, his own business. And, you know, it was just really interesting to, um, you know, to speak with him, not only about his own experiences and his own evolving definition of success, but also just about, you know, what he was able to discover about success from researching and writing his book. So without any further ado, let us get into my conversation with David. Hi, David. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, good morning and happy new year. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> oh, no, thank you so much for being here. All right. So let's have you get us started with um, just kind of your your origin story, right? Like, so um, how you got to where you are today and, um, and then tell us a little bit more about, about your book, because I know that's, that's really what you want to talk with us about today. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And thank you for asking. Uh, I really started my career after um, uh, graduating from college with a degree in industrial psychology and doing some graduate work. Um, back when I graduated, uh, that kind of a degree uh, wasn't all that useful in and of itself, but the job market was pretty good. And so I was able to, um, to get out there and I, uh, got involved in the corporate world. I worked for two companies. I started out in sales for one company in the Chicago area and then, uh, wanting to get back to Colorado, which is my home and uh, where I was born and raised. I had the opportunity to go to work for the Coors Brewing Company which was sort of a dream job for a young man and particularly somebody who grew up in Colorado. And I worked in sales and sales management. And then in about 1985, I shifted careers. I went back and got a certificate in organization development and I shifted careers and I started doing work, training, development, a lot of executive coaching and really working with uh, Coors at the time 
they were undergoing a large culture change initiative, and so I got involved leading that and learning a lot about culture and people and change and those kinds of things. In 1993, I left the corporate world to start my own consulting business, and I really wanted to focus on change and coaching uh, to help individuals and organizations better implement business strategies and improve their business, etc. And um, I had uh, reasonable success in the consulting field. I, um, for about 16 years, I was the managing director of a small boutique consulting firm, and then I kind of went back to um, managing my own consulting business and and working on my own. And it was a, a very rewarding and again, fairly successful enterprise. Um, and that um, really brought me up to sort of last year where I began to uh, trim down the consulting business. But most importantly, uh, talking about the book, about five years ago, I started thinking, that I had um, had a great career, I'd really learned a lot, had uh, the opportunity to work with truly sort of a gold standard clients, big companies that are well known to everyone, coaching a lot of those executives, etc. And at about the age of 60, I decided, you know, I think there's a way that I could give back to the degree that I could take what I felt I had learned uh, from my consulting practice and apply it to helping younger people understand what the, the, the key elements to being successful were. And part of what my process was, I started with a basic outline and thinking about what, what did I think I had learned and what had helped make me successful. And, um, and then I did some research. I interviewed close to 60 people to find out a little bit, and it was a wide variety of people, males, females, uh, older people, younger people. Um, uh, people that I knew and that I thought had been successful. In some cases, I interviewed people uh, that, um, uh, that I didn't know at all. And with all of that research, we were able to narrow down uh, to what I think is sort of the recipe for success, almost regardless of what your age is or what your business is. And that was the foundation then for my book, The Nine Dimensions of Conscious Success, it's all about you. And um, I identified those nine dimensions. I identified them in sort of two groups, three plus six. Three of the dimensions are what I call foundational elements. Um, and they are essentially purpose, self-awareness, and social awareness. And then uh, the remaining six, I identify as differentiators, the kinds of things that people can do um, that will differentiate them from others and help them achieve whatever their own success definition is. And those are very simply authenticity, work ethic and personal responsibility, listening, articulation, humor, and gratitude. And it's kind of those nine dimensions that uh, are the foundation for what I think anyone can begin to adopt or work on, and it will help them be more successful. And so as I now arrive at a new year, a new decade, um, my hope is that a lot of my work is going to focus on the book, the workshops that we do with the book, and the assessment that goes along with the nine dimensions, as well as speaking engagements. So that brings us pretty much up to the present. <laughs> 
All right. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of that with us. And I'm just, I'm so excited to, um, to dive in to the, you know, the nine dimensions um, or whatever you're able to, to tell us about um, kind of where we should start. I know that, you know, we can't really, um, we're not going to, you know, give everything away. Like in this episode, we're just going to, you know, kind of uh, get started. So um, yeah, and you know, in season two, in this season of, of Millennial Success Stories, I'm really diving deeper into um, kind of the, what makes up success, like right. in all those different, all those different things. So what would you say should be like your starting point? So whether that's one of your dimensions, whether that's something, you know, deeper in there, um, what do you think should be kind of like just the average person's starting point to figuring out um, their own path to success? Uh, it's a great question and fits perfectly in um, the context of how I started the book and what one of the critical dimensions really is. And by the way, very early on when I began thinking about the book, making the outline, talking about and thinking about what I was going to be writing about, um, a common question I was getting from a lot of people was, who are you writing this book for? Who's the target audience? Mm -hmm. And initially, I wasn't very clear about that, but the more that I did the work and the research, I realized, um, and, and part of what uh, the research led me to was the realization that millennials are a very critical group. They're the largest group entering the workforce since the baby boomers, and they're very influential. They have some unique patterns and characteristics, and um, they're a powerful force. And so quickly, I sort of guided the the writing process to say my target audience really are millennials. Now I would adjust that today and say they could be millennials or the younger generations. Um, mm -hmm. Even Gen Z, I did a podcast a little while ago that, that targeted specifically Gen Z. But back to your question, um, one of the things that I really got clear about, um, you know, I love a quote from Mark Twain who said, the two most important days of your life are the day that you're born and secondly, the day that you figure out why. And so what I realized is as people decide what they want in life, what they want their success definition to be, it starts with having a little bit of a clarity about where they want to go, what their success definition really is. And, and in all the research that I did, what I realized is my definition of success, particularly when I was starting out, really doesn't matter. And so I talk in the book a lot about it's not about wealth or position or, you know, rising up the corporate ladder. That worked pretty well for me, but um, success is a very personal thing and it should be determined by the individual. And so I, I sort of attack that problem uh, from two perspectives. One is uh, making sure people are clear that the success that they want in life is totally up to them. Uh, that's part and parcel of the, the subtitle of the book, It's All About You. The other thing then that I decided I wanted in this book, I wanted the book to be very practical. And so for each and every of the nine dimensions, we give you very specific tips and techniques. And each chapter ends with an action planning process that allows you to plan that particular dimension. For the first one, which is really the solid foundation that ties to success, it is being able to have uh, a clarity around what your purpose is. Um, and so, for example, my personal purpose statement 
is ensuring that my best self shows up to help individuals and companies or organizations define and achieve their desired purpose. And so we walk people in the book through the process of writing a personal purpose statement. Um, starting with, you know, better understanding about, you know, what motivates you? Why do you get up in the morning? What are the things that get you excited? And, but we walk them through a very specific process to write that purpose statement. And in the appendix of the book, we actually give you this process and the whole framework of writing a purpose statement. Did I answer that question? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I mean, I also have, you know, uh, more questions that um, <laughs> that came to mind from your answers. So, um, you know, I love this, you know, this talk about purpose and, you know, having a purpose statement. And, you know, uh, personally, and also I know, you know, a lot of my listeners, um, you know, would identify as multi-passionate, you know, so we have a lot of various, you know, interests and we may know what our favorites are, but at the same time, you know, there's also kind of you know, other things that, that um, sometimes get, get pushed aside that really do bring us joy. And so um, just within the question of, of purpose, um, do you feel that it's, um, you know, even though you're kind of creating this like kind of narrow purpose statement, um, do you feel that it's also... Uh, you know, flexible enough to allow people to kind of also have those secondary um, or tertiary purposes or, you know, enjoyments that they can also bring into, bring into their life and really make like a big, um, a big part of their lives? A absolutely. Um, the best way that I think I can illustrate that is many, many years ago, I was going through some fairly significant personal changes in my life. And even before this book was even an idea, um, one of the things that I spent a lot of time with, one of the things I spent doing was because I was having some struggles and I needed to get grounded in, you know, where am I and where do I want to go? And for example, I said that what I wanted in life back then, and I was employed, but um, again, having some struggles, I said, really, the secret to what I want in life, uh, you know, for the next foreseeable future is I want meaningful work, meaningful play, and a meaningful relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I focused in three areas that were important to me. Meaningful work, I had a career, I was doing well, uh, again, in the corporate environment, and, um, and I was in, really enjoying the work. And that was after that point where I had shifted kind of careers out of sales into organization development. Meaningful play, I'd always uh, played golf as uh, starting from when I was a, a fairly young man, and I really enjoyed the game of golf. And so I was really trying to balance, um, you know, having a, a good working kind of life with the balance of playing golf, which gave me great joy and, and involvement in something that um, was moderately athletic. And then finally, I realized I also wanted to have a meaningful relationship, and I didn't necessarily create an action plan, but I became very aware of how I needed to put it out to the universe that I'm ready for a relationship and I'm open to that kind of a thing. So to wrap up that example, in answer to your question, really, if someone says my success definition needs to be more than just one thing, just what I'm doing for a job, I think it's perfectly acceptable and probably wise to incorporate the whole notion of balance into the notion of what success is for any individual. And that may be that, you know, people want to be able to have a, a uh, basic living 
that allows them, they may have no aspirations to own property or to, you know, have a lot of assets, but they might decide, look, I want my life characterized by the ability to earn money, a decent wage, but counterbalanced with lots of travel. Maybe I want to, you know, um, so the success definition then incorporates the balance between what do I need to earn to fund that other piece of my life? But uh, truly, I think the the notion of a success definition or a personal purpose statement can incorporate a number of facets. The only caution there is, I think it works best for people to have some level of focus. So two, mm-hmm. three things is no problem at all. Beyond that, uh, you may find your life being a little diffused. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I can definitely, um, I can definitely relate to that. Um, I know last year I, I sort of put a lot of different um, goals on my plate and, um, and, and kind of found myself like, you know, halfway through having to like, you know, reprioritize, um, which sort of brings me into my next question. Um, I don't know if you, um, if you have any additional insights into this, but what would your suggestions be for, um, for people to prioritize in terms of what they should focus on now, what they should focus on, you know, maybe a few years down the road, like how do you ever really, you know, decide um, you know, what, what needs to be done now versus like, what, what can wait? Um, that's an important question and very difficult to answer. (laughs) I, you know, I sort of approached, uh, things in my career and I still do to this day in terms of sort of, uh, predecessors and successors. That's, that's a, a page right out of good project management. Um, another way to think about it is, you know, gee, I'm going to make this list of things. And so this may be the answer to your question, which is, if I define success or my personal purpose statement, and I put a stake in the ground, one way to, to maybe get clear is to put a stake in the ground and say, in five years, so it's 2020, by 2025, I want to have achieved, accomplished, or experienced these things and make yourself a list. A lot of things then when you are able, and it's the physical act of making that list that helps with this process, you're able to look at that list and say, there's a clear sequencing to some of these things. I have to do certain things first. That doesn't necessarily make them the most important. It just means that in the sequence, they are important predecessors to the other things on the list. So I think the process is put that stake in the ground. Maybe it's five years out. What are all the things that you'd like to get done? What are all the things that are necessary to achieve that sort of vision? Um, and then begin playing with the list and sequencing it. I think that's helpful because there are, um, you know, I'm a big believer in efficiency. And by the way, uh, there's there's one school of thought that says it's really not the destination that's important in life, it's the journey. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe a few detours and a may, you, you shouldn't get uh, too worked up or too upset about the fact that you may not be following the plan exactly because there are some detours along the way, but those detours are an important part of what you're trying to experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I also, I love that answer too, because I think that sometimes we get so focused on, on kind of the, the end results, the, you know, the destination that, that we're going for, that we sort of forget, like, you know, well, there are stepping stones to get there, you know, there are certain things that have to, um, you know, either fall into place or certain things that you have to do in order to achieve, um, you know, that, that vision of success that you have for yourself. Right. 
So yeah, yeah no, thank you so much for, um, for pointing that out. I think that's great and so important to remember. Um, so, you know, for, you know, for you, you know, you've had this, um, you know, kind of multifaceted career. Um, and I also love that you've, you know, you've kind of done a bunch of different things. Cause I know one of the things that I find, you know, um, that I've, you know, kind of had to reshape my view around personally. And I also, you know, speak with a lot of other millennials um, who, you know, I feel like we kind of grew up with this idea that we were going to choose one career. You know, we were going to like go to college, choose our major. And like, that was going to be it. That was going to be like all we did for the rest of our lives. <laughs> and right. so I think that, you know, a lot of us are kind of realizing that that's not necessarily how it, um, how it works and that we can have multiple, um, you know, careers per se. We can have um, you know, our career can be, um, you know, filled with different, um, you know, uh, different job titles or different businesses or, you know, whatever it is we may find ourselves doing. And so, you know, for someone like you who, who has kind of done a bunch of different things throughout your career, um, what would you say are, do you consider to be your biggest successes? Um, well, what a great question. Actually, uh, I was aware you were going to be asking it, and so I've given it some thought. But, you know, I, um, at 65 years old, I've been extremely blessed. And clearly, that doesn't mean that everything in life has been wonderful. Um, you know, you go through life, and there are some things that are not that pleasant. Sometimes they're unavoidable. Sometimes they could be avoidable. You know, there's a great expression you know, uh, you can't have rainbows without a little rain. So um, having things in your life that happen that are not um, all that great um, are uh, part of the learning experience if you're able to look at them. Um, there was a great quote years and years ago from one of the um, uh, NASA space missions where they said, you know, there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. And so as we go through life, uh, being able to take the good with the bad uh, is really important. And now to your question, it's also really important for each and every one of us to recognize that we have successes in our life. Um, I would say that the three that jump out at me, um, one is that I had a very successful career, two companies, but a very successful career in the corporate world. I was able to um, get into two companies, learn about what it takes to be successful. And I think that's, that may be a success definition in and of itself, which is that I, uh, at an early age, began to recognize learning is really a significant part of the journey. Okay. But I, uh, success number one was that I had uh, successful careers in two large companies for almost 20 years. The second big success that I like to point to is that I um, started a business and was successful at leaving the kind of security of the corporate world, starting out on my own and running a business. And I ran a business for a while. Then I went to work for another small boutique consulting firm as the managing director. And I had success growing that business and delivering service at the same time. And then in 2009, I jumped out and started uh, doing this on my own again. And again, had a great deal of success in going out and marketing the business, marketing our products and selling them and um, being able to, to be successful. And the third big success that I would point to is that I'm very happily married. My wife and uh, I will celebrate our 20th anniversary this year. Uh, June Congratulations. Is, 
Well, thank you. June is my wife's name. And we, uh, back in the day when we were both traveling and spending a lot of time on airplanes, we actually met on an airplane, began dating, and um, and we took it easy. We were older in life, and we kind of took it easy and didn't rush into anything. And by the time we got married, we felt like we were both very, very ready. And, um, uh, and while any relationship uh, involves, you know, commitment and work. Um, we've been successful at that and figured it out. And we continue to learn in that, that that's more again of the continual learning. So I would say the three big successes, I was successful in the corporate world. I was successful on my own, in my own businesses, and I'm successful in a great relationship with my wife, June. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I like how that's, um, you know, kind of shows like the, yeah, like the career side, but also the personal side. So I think right. that's great. You got that balance. So, and um, I would say too, and we're, <laughs> we're still working on it, but we still work on June and I still work on the play part of our life. And mm -hmm. uh, most recently we purchased an Airstream trailer. And so one of the next <laughs> chapters of our life is doing a lot of traveling in that Airstream with our two dogs. Okay, that sounds that sounds very exciting. Yeah, it's <laughs> oh, lovely. So that sort of so you kind of you know talked about what you guys plan on do or what you plan on doing um, in in the near future. So um, that sort of leads nicely into um, one of my other questions that I have for you. What does your next level of success look like? And this can be in business and in life. Yeah, I think that uh, my next. Um, Again, I would focus on the balance between what we do to enjoy seeing things and enjoying this lifestyle of, you know, pulling an Airstream around and seeing things that either one or both of us have not seen and being able to do some sightseeing, which also includes meeting a lot of people and, and just, you know, learning more about uh, this crazy world we live in. Um, so it's the fun and so forth that will come from that. I think the other uh, hoped for success element in my life is what I'll continue to do with the book, um, whether I can do more workshops um, for either uh, corporate clients or individuals, whether I'll do more coaching. And that's my intent. And I think a part of it is getting the word out and I'm so grateful for you uh, being willing to have me on your podcast. I think part of it is doing more of these podcasts to get the, uh, the awareness out there of, gosh, maybe there is a better way than sort of trial and error to go through life, particularly for millennials and, and younger generations. And I try and chart that path to say, I can save you some time and headache. So mm -hmm. I think the other thing that I want to do is, is shift a lot of my focus away from traveling on airplanes to corporate clients and doing more of this work, whether it's, whether it's remotely or on site um, for the book. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I know you mentioned, um, you know, the, the workshops that you want to, um, that you've, Want to, that you hold in um, yeah. in relation to the book. So, what do what do those look like? Like, you know, if um, if I were to consider, <laughs> you know, going to a workshop, like, what could I expect essentially? Um, what we try to do with the workshop, as I mentioned, uh, you know, we start with those foundational elements of purpose, self awareness, and social awareness. Well, what I'm preaching in the book about self awareness are the benefits of being highly self aware. Um, and so to help with that, one of the things that we did is we developed an assessment tool that individuals can take. 
you can go online to our site, davidenielson.com, and you can sign up to take this assessment. And the assessment, whether you move forward past that or not, the assessment provides a lot of feedback on the areas in the nine dimensions where you may have strengths and the areas where you may want to work on some things. And, um, and we give you then specific, based on what you may want to work on, we give you very specific recommendations that allow you to take specific actions or create your own improvement plan. And the workshop itself sort of revolves around the notion of getting people who are interested in the workshops to um, take the assessment uh, online in advance of the workshop. And then we bring customized reports into the workshop. And uh, we work literally, and it's a very experiential workshop, we work literally through the nine dimensions, which allows each individual to take that assessment report, their customized report, look at the things they want to work on, and then we deliver the content of the nine dimensions of conscious success in a very experiential way. And by the end of the workshop, um, the individuals create their own action plan. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, I mean, in terms of, I kind of want to shift the conversation a little more about the book and maybe your process, um, in, in creating the book, because, you know, I, um, I'm also a writer and, um, and an author. I'm currently working on a novel, so it's a little different process, but, um, oh, yeah. when you were, when you were going, um, you know, and, and kind of starting to, you know, to plan the book and, and sort of pick out like, so did you know that there were nine dimensions of success? Like, was this something that you worked with in the past? Um, or was this something that you sort of, um, you know, learned along the way? Uh, the simplest way I can answer that is to say, no, I didn't know that there were nine. I started out saying, there's a handful, uh, that's not a very scientific <laughs> quantity, but yeah. I, I started out saying, you know, what had, what had made me successful and also what had caused me to fail at times, what had caused me to have setbacks or obstacles. And all of that led me to a little bit of a predetermination of there's a handful of things that I think are critical to anybody being successful. Um, and uh, you know, essentially, I, I have a great deal of passion for self-awareness, uh, social awareness, and listening as three of the really uh, critical kinds of things. At any rate, I also realized, though, that one of the lessons in the book is when you go through life, you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of people that you uh, will run into, some that can be good friends and good supporters, some that will help you in some very specific ways. So, bottom line on all this was I had no idea what the number was. Mm -hmm. I, I guided myself through the process uh, on the basis of several things. Number one is I did all this research and I gathered all that data. And then we went through a pretty rigorous process to distill the data down into what the core themes were. I only had one bias, which was I didn't want the number to be seven. <laughs> because Stephen Covey wrote the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I thought, and then of course, he followed that up with a book a number of years later where he said, you know, I was wrong. There aren't seven, there's really eight. Um, but beyond that, I didn't have any predetermined notion about the number. It just worked out that way because I began looking at what are the most critical, because I said, these are, um, 
the dimensions of conscious success, that is that you are deliberate in your success, you're consciously doing things. And it just, based on all the data and what was necessary, based on my experience and my research, it wound up being nine. Awesome, awesome. And so um, was there anything in particular, I mean, it could be a whole dimension or just kind of some, some details about success that you, that you kind of, that surprised you, like while you were writing the book, like that, you know, maybe it was something you were researching and you were like, oh, wow, there's like a clear, <laughs> there's a clear like relation here. Like, you know, like just, just what about, I guess, um, success or the process of becoming successful, uh, maybe new, what, what new things did you learn <laughs> as you were yeah. writing the book? <laughs> it's a great question. There were some surprises and the surprises were based on things that when I looked at my old, my own life, my, my history, until I started doing the research and started writing, I really took them for granted. Mm -hmm. uh, and we start the book talking about this. Um, one of the things that came up in a lot of the interviews, so again, all this research I did were face-to-face -face interviews generally. Um, there were two elements that were sort of surprising, not in retrospect, but they were surprising at the time because I had demonstrated them to some degree, but they were subconscious. Mm -hmm. I was doing them uh, sometimes without even thinking. And um, the two that I would uh, cite that were surprising were um, people's uh, emphasis and passion for the notion that successful people, whether it was themselves or others uh, that they knew in life, um, were good at connecting with other human beings. Mm. And so I write a lot in the book about connection. You know, all virtually all great accomplishments in the history of the world uh, have occurred with some level of collaboration. In order to collaborate, there are some basic elements that then become important. Um, uh, and again, self-awareness, social awareness, and listening become really critical. You can't have a very effective uh, relationship with someone else if you're not willing to listen to them and understand their frame of reference. So that this whole notion of connection and connectedness. And by the way, I'll, I'll make a quick sidebar note here, what's interesting, because I did some of the research about how has technology influenced mm -hmm. the connectedness, and I've been offering out this quote, um, I'm sure that uh, I'm not the first one to come up with it, but what's interesting is with all this technology connectedness, mm -hmm. as humans, we're becoming more disconnected, and mm -hmm. so it's an interesting irony um, the second big surprise, I think, was, again, something that I took for granted, which was how passionate people were about work ethic, working hard. It never, I grew up in a family where my mother and father survived the Depression, and so they instilled in my two sisters and me a real emphasis on needing to be able to understand how to work and work hard and you know, add value in whatever endeavor you're taking on, uh, you have to have a good work ethic. Um, I sort of took that for granted. A lot of the research people said you have to, and I don't know whether they were influenced by their own experience with uh, younger people, with other workers, what, what drove it, but there was a strong pattern around work ethic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that 
um, I just, I really want you to expand on kind of like the, the de definition of work ethic or, or how people's work ethic, um, like, you know, really, uh, influenced, you know, their success, because I think there's something, something happened. I think it's also partially, um, because of like technology and social media where I find that my, like, you know, I've had this misconception, but a lot of my, um, you know, uh, fellow millennials, I feel like also sometimes feel this way. Um, when we hear work ethic, sometimes we just hear like work as hard as you possibly can, like around the clock, no breaks. Like you're literally like driving yourself into the ground. It's kind of like this hustle and grind type of thing. So, um, if you could just sort of, um, explain to us, like when you had all these interviews with, with people, um, how did they define work ethic and what to them was kind of like the most important thing for them to focus on as they were, um, as they were working? Uh, it's a great question, and I will tell you that some of the people, um, and it doesn't matter what their generation was, but some of the people did define work ethic as working more, working longer hours, working harder. Um, to some degree, I think hard work is, is a good quality to have. However, it shouldn't come at the expense of efficiency and value. And when I started doing the writing, I told a story in the book about um, I had a, uh, I became a director at one point and I sort of, uh, inherited a new team of direct reports. And one of the, one of the individuals on the team, uh, at one point sort of called me out for work ethic according to his definition. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you the very quick story. I used to arrive at work about seven 30 and by five 30, um, you know, I was ready to go home. Uh, for a, a number of reasons, not the least of which is having good balance in life. But his attitude was he would try and get in by 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning, and he often was staying till 6 or 6.30 at night. Mm -hmm. And at one point, he called me out and he said, you know, I, uh, I've got an issue with how we're working together. I notice, you know, you regularly get here at about 7.30 and you're, you're usually gone by 5.30. And um, I I didn't get defensive at all. I said, well, gosh, you're exactly right. What, what, what is the concern you have? He said, well, I'm always here by 6.30 or so, and I'm frequently not leaving until 6, 6.30 at night. And I said, well, is your only point that you'd like me to put in the same hours you do? <laughs> well, no, no, it's not just the same hours. It's just, you know, it's about work. And I said, well, let me make sure that we're defining work ethic value, contribution the same way. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you're the best worker simply because you put in long hours. In mm -hmm. fact, I have sometimes fears about people who work pretty inefficiently and it takes them longer to do things. Mm -hmm. And the measure of great work and contribution is not putting hours in. It's making a contribution, an impact, and adding value. And so we had that conversation and I said, if you want to come in at 6.30 and leave at 6.30, I'm fine with that. I hope whatever you're doing during the time that you're here is value added. Mm -hmm. But set your hours. We got to get the job done. And if you can get the job done and it takes you 12 hours, well, okay. If you can get the job done in six and a half and you decide maybe not every day, but on day, certain days that you put in a lot of time, you've added a lot of value, you want to go home, be with the family. A little early, I'm going to be equally fine with that. And he never brought that up again. But mm. so the point is that work ethic isn't just about working harder or more hours. It is about making an impact. Mm. 
And so one of the questions that I often ask when I'm coaching people, particularly people who uh, bring up that topic, is I'll say, well, on a given day or on a given project, what's the desired result? What does success look like? Because I want the focus to be on a result, not on time. Does that answer that question? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it does. And I, I thank you so much for that answer too, because I think it's so important um, for our listeners to, to hear that uh, because I do feel like it's, you know, a common misconception that, um, that a lot of people have. So. Um, and I think I'll add one footnote. It doesn't matter whether you're working for yourself or for someone else. The fact is um, working for another, an employer or working for yourself. I think it's really important. You still focus on what's the result I'm trying to produce here. Mm-hmm. And what's the best way to get it? Yeah. Yeah. No. Very good. Very good. Oh, okay. Um, so let's see. Um, why don't we, gosh, I feel like there's, there's so much that we could do, but we're, um, we're sort of low on time. So <laughs> um, let's see. So in terms of, you know, maybe just sharing a little bit more um, about your book, um, what, I don't know, maybe part of the writing process or what chapters or whatever, however you want to define it, um, you know, did you enjoy the most? Well, this was my first book. I'd never written a book before. Mm-hmm. I'd written articles that had been published. And so um, one of the things that I enjoyed in the process was that it was a learning experience. And I consider myself mm-hmm. a lifelong learner and I was getting a lot out of just learning. Um, it also, because I knew so little, um, the whole process was fascinating. I mean, how you do the writing, how you use editors, how the uh, editing and, and review process works, all of the graphics. I felt strongly <laughs> that I wanted the book to be colored, uh, you know, be colorful. And um, so I had a lot of fun and a lot of enjoyment in laying out the graphics and doing the artwork and that kind of stuff. Um, I would say the, the really fun parts of the book, beyond just the learning experience, one was the interviews. I got a great deal of joy out of the interviews because I was interacting with other people and learning about other perspectives. And, um, uh, and there was no, it was pure, you know, data-driven conversation. It was there was no right answer. I, I didn't have to think about what somebody said. In some of the interviews, I was surprised by some things, and some things I was, you know, uh, they were fairly predictable. So, in general, the things that I enjoyed most probably were the interviews, number one. Number two, once we selected a publisher um, and began the publishing process, that was a lot of joy for me because I had experts now that were helping me. Hmm. And the third thing, I'd be remiss, uh, you know, the, the final dimension in the book is gratitude. I was so thankful for getting to the end of the process mm-hmm. and having a book. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you're an author, so you can probably appreciate this. There's something very gratifying to finish a project like this and know that it's all, you know, there's, there's a great deal of passion and, and thinking and so forth between the, the, the covers of the book. And I was so thrilled to have a final product that I could hold in my hand and say, wow, I did this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, part of that whole process, of course, was also seeing that it was on the shelf in Barnes and Noble, that it was available on Amazon, that people were writing reviews on Amazon. So, so the, the, 
the thankful part of the, the joy was the thankful part of number one, it being done, but then what that meant in that this, this passion of mine was out in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no. And okay. And so before, just to make sure I don't forget, um, we will have all of the, the links to, to your book, Amazon, um, and all that stuff on the show notes so that people can easily, you know, find the book, purchase it for themselves and, um, and also, you know, find you, um, find you online as well. Um, other than Amazon and Barnes and Noble, like, are there any other shout outs for, <laughs> for retailers where your book is available? Well, uh, not too many. There are two local uh, hearth, uh, Hearthside uh, bookstore in Evergreen mm-hmm. or Bergen Park, Colorado is close to my home. Mm-hmm. And, and they've carried the book. And um, the Page Turner is a bookstore in Conifer, Colorado, and they've uh, handled the book. At any rate, um, not too many others. The uh, What's interesting, and I'm learning more about this, is apparently Google is now getting in to the book business as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know as much about that, but Amazon is, you know, the easiest, best way it's available in, um, in hard copy as well as digital. And as we start the new year, I'm working with the publisher and we'll also do an audio book this year. Oh, okay. That's so exciting. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. All right. Awesome. Okay. So let's see, before, before you go, um, are there any other kind of like tips for success, um, that you, that you want to leave us with? Um, you know, I'll take a lesson from my father. There's an awful lot in the book that I talk about the influence of my father. Uh, the only tip is when I was away at college, he ended every single phone call by saying, um, first of all, I love you. And secondly, well, all right, until we talk again, do some work and have some fun. <laughs> and I thought that that message, I, I, I sort of overlooked it and didn't think it was all that significant uh, when I was in college. And in retrospect, I realized what an important message it was to have that, that balance in life. And, you know, obviously, the final tip that I would give anybody is I think it's a really good book. And the reviews have been good. I'd hope that maybe people will give it a look, you know, mm-hmm. uh, buy the book and give it a look. Um, Cause I think there's an awful lot in there, but um, if I had to distill it down to uh, that final tip, it's my father's do some work and have some fun in life. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. That is, I mean, I know that I, I try to, you know, um, my, my grandfather says something similar. He says like, uh, he's work hard, play harder. Yeah. So, um, no, but I think that's so important because, you know, I think that, you know, really whether I've seen it, you know, with people who are entrepreneurs, um, whether they're, you know, in, in the corporate world, um, sometimes we forget that uh, there's more to life than, than just work. So. Absolutely. Well, to, I thank you so much for having me on. And if there are, uh, if there's any interest, with you or any of your listeners to, you know, diving, uh, what I have, uh, we've done with other podcasters as some of them have said, we want to have you back to do a deeper dive on one of the dimensions, you know, mm-hmm. would you come mm-hmm. back and do, you know, 45 minutes on listening or whatever. So happy to do that, but I'm so grateful that you were willing to have me on today. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much. And I will um, definitely, um, make, make a note of that. I haven't, um, I haven't done that before on this show, but it was something that um, in the beginning uh, when I was, you know, creating millennial success stories, I wanted to have my guests back for Q and A's. Um, it just sort of, <laughs> it just sort of hasn't happened yet, but yes, no, thank you so much. That's um, that would be awesome. 
So, That's terrific. Yeah. Well, happy new year. I wish you nothing but the best in 2020. Oh, thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Millennial Success Stories podcast. I would love to invite you to join our growing community of fellow millennial women entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs inside our free Facebook group, the Millennial Success Society. I also love connecting with fellow women entrepreneurs on Instagram. Find me at Jackie Kossop underscore LA. Feel free to send me a DM with any suggestions for future episodes or questions you'd like answered on the show. For all the latest show updates, exclusive resources for our listeners, or to apply to become a guest on the show, please visit the Millennial Success Stories podcast page on my website at www.jackiekossop.com slash podcast. Thank you again for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.